These days, when somebody says that they have a hot take, I get a little hesitant because for a lot of creators, especially on social media, they're offering these polarizing views for the sake of getting engagement and getting content in comments, and it's very obvious. So I tend to shy away from that phrase altogether. But I see sometimes discourse around friendship that tends to lean one way, especially with a specific group of Gen Z millennial women, and I'm like, actually, I hold a position that's contradictory to what it looks like the masses are agreeing with. And I guess that would be, by definition, a hot take. So because of that, today on the Friend Forward podcast, I want to share with you six friendship hot takes that you might disagree with, but I at least hope get us talking about these particular things because I want us to approach it with more nuance. And if you have been looking for guidance with firmer positioning on a couple of different friendship topics, then today's episode of the Friend Forward podcast is for you. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Friend Forward podcast, powered by betterfemalefriendships.com. I'm Danielle Byer Jackson, a friendship coach, educator, and author of the upcoming book, Fighting for Our Friendships. And it's my job to share the science of women's conflict and connection. So when it comes to the joys, complexities, and misconceptions surrounding these kinds of relationships, I am here to help you through it. Today, I am hitting you with a few positions that I have on a couple different friendship-related topics that aren't necessarily popular. And I want to encourage you to engage critically with these. If you agree, I want to hear about it on Instagram at friendford. If you disagree, send me an email, do your thing, okay? But my goal is always to put things on the table to help inform the decisions you make about your own friendships. That's always been my goal. And so these are things that currently today, at the time of this recording, I stand 10 toes down on. I stand by through and through and maybe even change your mind on some things after you hear me out. So here we go. Number one, you do not need a best friend. Now, hold on. If you have a best friend, I'm not saying your best friend isn't necessary. If you have that, that is special. There's something very intense and fulfilling and affirming about having somebody who understands you in so many ways and they see you and they outrank everybody else. But if you do not have a best friend and you feel that you are somehow behind or deficient because of it, I need you to rethink that. For some of us, the idea is a romantic notion, right? To be fulfilled in a multitude of ways by one singular person sounds like the peak of friendship, the holy grail, what we're all looking for. And if you have somebody who's been with you a long time and they are your spiritual buddy and your happy hour buddy and your mom friend, all the things wrapped up into one, then you're very fortunate to have that person. But I want you to consider, what does it look like if you were to get all your needs met by the collective instead of the singular? I'm not necessarily championing one over the other, but I see too many women who say that they feel behind or they feel like they're getting it wrong because they don't have that one person. And I think that that speaks to a need for more intimacy, to feel known and seen by a particular person. I get that. For a lot of us, it's satisfied, that feeling by a romantic partner or a best friend. I get that. But too many of us feel unsatisfied with our entire friendship landscape because one singular person has not emerged as the keeper of all our secrets and intimate details and being our platonic, the one. 
So if this is you and you're finding yourself dissatisfied with your friendship landscape because you don't have one bestie, I want you to zoom out for a second and ask yourself, your need for humor, your need for intellectual stimulation, your need for companionship and affirmation and support, are you actually getting all those things, but just from various sources, which you should count yourself lucky for that? Or are you dissatisfied because you're looking to have it all fulfilled by one person? Just something to think about. But the idea of having a best friend while beautiful and such a blessing for those of us who have one is not something that I think is a need to have for every person. My second hot take that shouldn't be a hot take is that I no longer believe in the idea of the more, the merrier. Let me explain. For some things, yeah, I'm going to definitely raise my daughter to be an includer and not a mean girl who's exclusive or, you know, rejecting people who are hungry for belonging and connection. I definitely don't want her to be that way. And this is not to preach being exclusive for the sake of just cutting others out, right? And, and being insular in that way. But what I mean is when it comes to having certain gatherings, certain objectives, certain communities or ministries in your life, To some degree, it has to be exclusive in order to curate a particular experience. So if my husband and I want to have a faith-centered talk, we're probably going to invite mostly church friends or at least people who share a certain worldview so we can almost speak in a shorthand way, right? It makes the experience a little bit easier and natural. And we have everybody in the room who we know can help us achieve whatever that particular objective is. If we're having like a couple's date night, we might invite our friends who are couples. If I am having a happy hour Galentine's party or whatever it is, and there's going to be alcohol involved, and I know I have friends who are not totally comfortable with that, I'm going to be mindful of that. If I'm trying to have an experience that feels intimate, where everyone got to participate and speak up, share her story, be heard, I'm probably not going to invite 100 people. I know that I have to keep it tight to 20. And I know that those 20 need to be women who can balance listening with speaking. They don't hog the conversation. They're not leaning into certain negative tendencies that shift the conversation in a certain way. They don't have beef with other women who are there. I might specifically curate a group to help me achieve a certain experience. And that means not inviting everyone all the time. And it might mean that the more bodies there are in the room, the more it detracts from our overall objective. So no, for some things, the more the merrier would be counterproductive to the kind of experience you're trying to deliver for the people in the room. It might even, I'm going to go one step further here, detract from the safety of the people in the room. Now, I don't necessarily mean physical safety. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but safety to speak up, be vulnerable, lean in. Because we know that somebody there is a gossiper, because we know that somebody there has a strong judgment or position against some of the things that others will share and being mindful of that. Now, I know some people say, well, hey, you just invite everybody anyway, or you invite anyway. I get that, but hey, Jesus was exclusive, okay? Not everybody was a disciple. Let me just throw that out there. You know what I'm saying? Okay, all right. My number three hot take that shouldn't be a hot take is this, and I know this is a big one. This is a big one. I need us to show grace for the boy crazy friend, and I'm doing boy crazy kind of like in air quotes. I know it's kind of like reductive. (sighs) Hear me out. When I was writing my book, Fighting for Our Friendships, I interviewed a psychotherapist who specializes in love addiction. 
I know. Oh, trust me. I just saw you roll your eyes. I know. I rolled my eyes. But I'm like, you know what? My goal is to get as much information as I can, right? To bring it to you. So let me interview her. Let me learn more about this. And she made a terrific point. And I, you know, when you get the book, you'll read more of her insights here. But she made a terrific point. She was talking about how we are open to engaging and negotiating for every other issue except for the friend who is boy crazy. For some reason for that, we're just like, oh, she's so weak. Be stronger. Don't be so, you know, operating on your whims for this guy. Don't ditch me to hang out with this guy. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, I feel like everything has to have caveats so you don't think I'm totally losing it. Is it ridiculously insulting and frustrating when your friend ditches you because some guy, the guy of the week, extended a last-minute invitation to go to see a movie or go to dinner or go hang out or come over her house, whatever? Yes. Is it almost disrespectful if there are a series of times she is canceling plans on you or withdrawing her commitment because some guy comes along and is pursuing her, distracting her? Yes. But something I noticed through writing the book and exploring these different conflicts that come between us is that for every other issue, we tend to be open to negotiating it, to exploring it, to working it out, to extending grace, giving the benefit of the doubt. But there's something around our friends leaning into a romantic relationship or being like very eager around male romantic relationships that we become disgusted with her. We don't respect it. We don't have much tolerance for that. And it just got me thinking because I've been on both sides now. I've been on both sides. And I thought, I want you to ask yourself why this particular hangup or chokehold, <laughs> I'll say, is something that feels intolerant for us, that we have no room to barter here, that we have no forgiveness or leeway for the friend who's gotten caught up in a boy crazy season. Now, this could look like a lot of things in holding her accountable. Hey, you said we have plans on Friday and, you know, I don't know how to feel with you backing out last minute because you want to go do something else. You know, of course, we should be having those conversations, holding her accountable to her word, letting her know, hey, I feel dismissed when you switch up on me. All that hopefully goes unspoken, 100%, right? Because if you substitute X for Y, right, the boy crazy thing for something else, we'd still be letting her know the impact of fleeting behavior like that and being unreliable in those ways or dismissing our friendship. But I've noticed that we really, really lean in for some reason on this particular topic as the deal breaker of issues when it could be a struggle that one friend has like everybody else's struggle. What about the friend who's flaky or kind of negative sometimes or the friend who you feel like you've kind of outgrown, but ah, you keep around. We make these accommodations for that. We kind of extend understanding but I've noticed there's something about the girl who is in a season of being kind of obsessive a little more than normal over a particular guy that we find unforgivable. And again, I mean, these are hot takes for a reason. I already can feel you bristling, but I just think it's interesting. Can we at least discuss? You're probably right now like, okay, we're only halfway through the episode and you already want to hop over on Instagram and come in my DMs and tell me about it. And I hope you do. Come on now. Come on over there at Friend Forward and tell me what you're thinking. It's just a thought, especially for those of you who have been the boy crazy friend and it took you all to come back and see the light. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad for the friend who gave me a little bit of leeway until I got my mind right. Okay? Okay, good. All right, ladies, it's finally happening. You've been asking me for the past six years to have an event to bring you all together. 
And if you've ever said, I'm looking for like-minded women, women who are equally intentional and intelligent and good conversationalists, and they prioritize friendship, well, that person is likely you who's listening. And I want to put all of you in a room together. So on March 1st through the 3rd, we're having an entire weekend for a retreat slash summit that's dedicated to all things female friendship. On Friday night, we are having an elevated speed friending experience where I'll briefly speak about the science of first impressions and connection, and then we'll put it to action in a room where we're meeting several women in conversation that I guide for you to remove all the awkward small talk. And if it's been a while since you've met a lot of good candidates for genuine friendship, you definitely want to be there. Now, Saturday is filled with workshops, panels, and breakout sessions, all with the purpose of equipping you with everything you need intellectually to better inform the decisions that you want to make about creating healthier friendships. So we're talking all things mental health and networking and learning from really qualified women who can teach us all about the art and science of women's relationships. And Sunday, we'll end by addressing the mind-body connection engaging in a unique yoga session that's specifically designed to help us focus on releasing any tension we might be holding in our bodies due to unresolved friendship anxiety. I would love to meet you. If you've been looking for a space to have more in-depth conversation around female friendship, to share your personal story, and all while meeting real friends in real time, then this is for you. You can learn more at womensconnectionsummit.com, and I encourage you to join now while early bird pricing is still available. See you soon. Hi, take number four. She's not the villain. You just need her to be so you can move on. Let me explain. In some instances where a friend betrays you, she quite plainly did something explicitly villainous. Okay, slept with your boyfriend, you know, talked about you to a bunch of other people behind your back continuously for an extended period of time. Like those things are villainous, objectively like, malicious things, yes. But there are other times when a friend disappoints us or lets us down, and we launch right into the language of like, she's fake. I can't believe she did that. She's not a real friend. How dare she? I can't deal with people like that. And we characterize them as the villain because it's so much easier to move on when there is no gray area. But I'm going to challenge you, is it possible? that the thing that transpired between you and your friend was not necessarily an extension of her exposed villainous motives, but because she is a person who made a choice you didn't vibe with or a person who made a choice that let you down and you realize, man, I can't move forward knowing what I know. I can't move forward with broken trust. So you might still choose to end it because she did something that shook the foundation of trust and you realize it's something you don't want to continue to invest in because you kind of had your security in that relationship rocked. That's fair. But I'm noticing, and I've been doing this for six years now, working with several women a week on their intimate friendship issues. For a lot of us, it almost feels like to make it easier for us to move forward, we need to narrate the story with her being the villain. And there's less space for gray area. There's less space for we outgrew each other. Or she was making choices that I just couldn't really get with. So I I had to remove myself from that space. It wasn't good for me, you know? So I'm speaking more to the conditions, to the space, to the separation that transpired as life moved forward. But it's not about because she's deficient in character, because she's an awful person, I had to leave. Again, in some cases, I get it. But how often are you quick to subscribe to the idea that the person who let you down was against you? 
she was a villain, she was wicked, she was evil. And how can you back up and in some situations that call for it, acknowledge the gray area or acknowledge the fact that it wasn't her, it was just life. It was no longer being compatible. It was just the conditions of the environment that made it a place where you could no longer grow and you had to leave. I know for some of you, you're like, Danielle, you're being a little too PR, right? Or you're kind of shaping the language, call it what it is. Sometimes calling it what it is, is her being a villain. But a lot of times it's not. A lot of times she's not the bad guy here. It's just the ideal she subscribed to or the lifestyle she adopted simply wasn't compatible with yours. And because of that, staying wasn't an option without you self-sacrificing or compromising on who you were. Hot take number five, I'm going to make it brief because I plan on doing an entire episode on this because I have thoughts, but I'm just going to throw it out there and I'm going to like end it abruptly because I know you have thoughts. Come tell me about it. Hot take number five is this. Just because she didn't like your Instagram story doesn't make her a secret hater. Oh God, I already know. I already know I'm bracing for impact here. Here's the one thing I'm going to offer on this because I'm telling you, we are working on an episode on this because there's so many things I want to point out. And I've been seeing things circulate on social that show me that we have strong feelings about this in this community. Are there times when a friend who is kind of secretly not really happy for you, when she's not liking your stories and not commenting on big announcements you make on social media, are there times when that is indicative of her reluctance to celebrate you? Yes. But I also want to make a case for the fact, the fact that a friend who does support you is attentive, is a ride or die, and her not being active on social, her not watching Instagram stories, her watching seven of your stories, but not all 12, or her seeing some good news, but then getting distracted and not getting back to the story. Her social media behavior might present itself in the same way as the friend who's a secret hater. Both of the outcomes are an Instagram story you post that gets no engagement from them. But the motives, the things happening underneath that are different. So it feels not reductive, but almost overly simplistic to generalize and say, if she's not liking my stuff on social media, there's something about that that's duplicitous. To me, I'm just, I got to be honest, it feels extreme to me. Does it apply in some cases? I'm sure. Oh, heck yeah. But to reduce her genuineness as a friend to whether she is active in the way that we want her to be and engages in the way that we want her to be on social media as a sign of a true friendship, I just want to explore that. That's all I'm saying. And I'm going to hush right there because that deserves its own episode, don't you think? All right, hot take number six is this. Your friends aren't necessarily your therapists. Talking to your friends during a time of hardship or struggle is certainly therapeutic. There is something that feels lighter in your life when you're able to consult with a friend, especially if your friends are reasonable, wise friends who offer wise, grounded counsel. Yes. Thank God for women in our lives who can help us make sense of the world. Yes. But is it fair to hold the expectation that your friends will be equipped with the same skills and patience of a therapist? No. Thankfully, there are times when your friend knows the right thing to say or when she'll hush and let you vent and get it out or when she'll prompt you with the right questions to help you unpack heavy things you're going through. Thank God for friends who are skilled to do that or who have the patience to do that. 
but to expect that every time we need to unpack something heavy, or if I'm being real, for those of us who are unpacking a heavy thing for a long period of time and expecting that person to be available every time we want to go into it, or to not have like the secondhand trauma, and I don't often talk about trauma and mental health, but I mean the secondhand trauma, honestly, of listening to what you're going through, specifically for those of us who have like dark, heavy things we're unpacking, and it's like a series of it. So it's like part one, part two, part three, we're rehashing the details to expect our friends to have the skills or patience of a therapist and to just endure that for as long as we want to go, I don't think is totally fair. And I think, again, it's a romantic idea, the notion of having a friend who's ride or die and available when we want to be available and has the capacity whenever we've got it to give. But also, this is where we need to be in community. Are there certain groups I need to be in that are specific to a unique struggle I'm going through? And these people have similar shared experiences and are better equipped to engage in this kind of discussion. Do I need to be talking to a professional who can help equip me with things that they specialize in to help me heal through some kind of deep wound? But to expect friends to do that kind of healing Like we heal in community, we heal through conversations, but to do that kind of healing for an extended period of time, I don't know if that's totally fair, especially hearing on the end of the friend who's enduring those conversations that she is burnt out, that she does find herself starting to regrettably avoid conversations because it's too heavy for her and she's burned out with her own stuff or she listened for a little bit, but now is like out of things to say or feeling helpless because she doesn't know what to give. So to some degree, yes, we're showing up for our friend, even when we're inconvenienced, even when we're tired, because that's what it means to take on a friendship, is to take on a hardship too, yes. But I think that for some issues, for certain things, we can't be like, well, I don't need a therapist to have my friends. I'm not saying it has to look like an actual literal therapist to kind of alleviate our friends from that kind of a weight, but it needs to be some kind of community. It cannot all rest on the friends. All right, ladies, as your new official friendship coach, here's your homework. Listen closely. What is a friendship hot take that you have that you've been too afraid to say because it goes against the grain or your friend group would disagree or people would look at you differently or challenge you and that feels uncomfortable? What is your friendship hot take? I challenge you to express it to someone. Now, I don't necessarily mean on social media because social media can be fun and things like that, but it's also not totally safe and people take things out of context. So I want you to find somebody who you feel safe with. There's trust there in that in that particular relationship. And I want you to share with them a certain stance you have on friendship that might not necessarily be popular. Because if I can be honest, putting out this episode feels a little vulnerable to me. I so often am like, you know, I feel safe just leaning into the research, you know, and and not doing anything that feels like a super firm position that isolates some people. But I don't know. I feel called to take a firmer position on these particular things. And I want you to experiment with that as well. So who can your person be who you feel safe to share this position? And what is the position you want to share? After you do it, I want you to come tell me about it on Instagram at friendforward or 24-7 at betterfemalefriendships.com. Until then, I'll be right here rooting for you always on your ongoing journey toward better female friendships. Until next time.